This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. Telemedicine is finally seeing some wider spread adoption for triaging minor injuries and telemedicine for residents in remote areas. But telemedicine programs have great potential for occupational health for companies and their employees. Here to discuss telemedicine in the workplace is Dr. Brittany Bussey, Associate Medical Director for WorkCare, Inc. Brittany, welcome. Hi, thanks, Shelby. So with any disruptive technology, for example, I mean, there are questions and hesitations when it comes to implementation. And so you've worked in the development and implementation of telemedicine for for quite a few years now. So can we start off by, I guess, just giving a retrospective on where we are now with telemedicine? I mean, how is it how is it evolving and how are you seeing this evolution? Of course, you know, with any new technology, there's always going to be a incremental adoption rates. You're going to have your early adopters, those people who are really excited about a new technology, who see the potential for it. And then you're going to have about 80 to 90 percent of the population who thinks it's absolutely insane. Like, how on earth am I going to have a video visit with a doctor? Right. My doctor has to touch me. They have to shine lights inside of my mouth and ears. Like, this is just not possible. Yeah. I don't see it would work. It's absolutely crazy. And then as the time progresses, more people use it and they tell their friends and a few more of their friends see like, okay, this is definitely something I could get used to. But now still 60 to 70% of people say, we're not going to do it. And you go up the bell curve till about 50% of people understand that this is a real thing. And about 50% of the people still think you're out of your mind. Over time, you'll always still have people who don't understand it, who don't want to use it, who think that it's something that will somehow negatively impact them. But you'll also have a wide number of people using it. We're seeing telehealth really that way. For general medicine, we're seeing more and more people adopting it. We may be hitting that 50% mark where more people feel comfortable having a video visit, especially for things that are a little bit more personal. So we do the surveys on it. They show that people enjoy talking to a doctor remotely if it's going to be something even like bad news because they could have their family there. They feel more comfortable. They feel like it's more reminiscent of a doctor's house call where they're in a comfortable place. They can have that connection with the physician and they're more open to talking about things that might be difficult. A lot of people prefer to access a therapist or a psychiatrist via telemedicine and people are becoming more accepting of general medical things. And what I found is that compared to an urgent care, it's actually easier to practice medicine via telemedicine because when I listen to the history, which is where I'm getting about 85% of the information for the diagnosis, and the history is telling me that you might have a viral illness, I find that the patient is more likely to accept that diagnosis 
and the fact that I'm not going to give you antibiotics for a viral illness because now I've taken the time to listen, to connect, to explain the process. And there's also that I haven't sat in a waiting room for three hours with other sick people and paid my copay and there should be transactional nature to this. And so I really like practicing telemedicine from that standpoint, because you're developing more intimacy with people when you are virtually coming into their home. Right. Well, you mentioned urgent care. I understand that you began your career as a physician at a a local urgent care center. So how has that experience prepared you for your work in telemedicine? I mean, has there been a strong connection there? Um, Yeah, somewhat. I mean, my career trajectory was very different than most people's. I actually started in surgery. So something that's very hands-on. You definitely can't perform surgery via telemedicine, although they are doing it remotely um, through robotics. But aside from that, I did start there in surgery, which is deeply personal. When you are talking to somebody and you're telling them that you are about to take away all their awareness and put them under anesthesia and then remove potentially or rearrange or do something to heal a portion of their body by making these incisions into the body, there's a deeply personal connection I feel that has to happen there in order for that person to to give that trust over to you. And so from starting from that place of creating connection, moving into an urgent care where it was more transactional, I wanted to bring that trust and intimacy and connection into these areas of medicine that people have kind of put aside in a way. I described it as that, you know, your, your family doctor, the person you might see them, depending on how many chronic illnesses you have, maybe once a year, maybe every other year, or maybe a couple times a year to deal with those chronic problems. And that's like your fancy restaurant you go for your anniversary. And then the urgent care doctors became like fast food. Like, I'm just going to pop in here and I should get what I want when I want it. And there was a a lack of connection there. And and I felt like the practitioners were buying into that. Well, that raises a great point because if patients expect a transitional or a transactional visit, there isn't really an openness for really trusting, for really connecting and really kind of opening up your uh, your medical history and, and really just having a conversation with that doctor. It does just become a almost like a drive-through window. But then when we talk about occupational medicine, I tend to think of maybe it's an urgent care, maybe it's um, some type of clinic that specializes in occupational injuries. Uh, so I'm curious how occupational telemedicine is working and, and what kind of injuries we're talking about that can be treated with telemedicine. So kind of following that thread is that that is really important in occupational medicine. Occupational medicine in many cases is not single transactions where many companies who are using the tool of telemedicine, I think are failing is that they're focusing only on those transactional visits. So they are literally filtering out anything that may require the 
continued intervention or visits with a physician and focusing only on injuries that seem very one and done, um, that these are first aid only. So I understand that from a standpoint of telehealth, we've been doing that in occupational medicine for decades. And telehealth is simply the delivery of of healthcare or health information remotely. And that could be done through web education, but in workers' comp, it's done most commonly through nurse triage. So the nurse interacts with the injured worker, they talk about what happened, then they give them care recommendations for first aid. Um, and first aid is over-the-counter medications, ice, rest, self-massage, basically anything the person can do for themselves can be considered a first aid type visit. When the musculoskeletal disorders are going to require prolonged treatment like physical therapy or even a referral to a specialist or any kind of imaging like an x-ray or an MRI, everyone steps back and they say that's not telemedicine. You know, telemedicine is the visit that occurs between the injured employee and the physician for the purpose of diagnosis and treatment of an injury. And what I'm telling people is that if you practice telemedicine the way that medicine should be practiced, you absolutely can treat all of these injuries via telemedicine and you can probably do a better job because the video provides, again, that level of intimacy, that level of communication that builds relationship that will lead to better outcomes for injured workers. In a transactional model and in the workers' comp system in general, the worker can sometimes feel lost. They can feel like an injured body part instead of a person, where occupational medicine really focuses on how does this person, this employee, function in a system that is their workplace when they have limitations? And what can we do to help them to stay in their workplace, to be part of their society, because that workplace is their community. The minute you separate them from that, they're going to feel like they lost something and they may slip into depression. They may develop other health issues because of that. So by using telemedicine to partner with that person, to become a part of their life, to treat them holistically and to engage in a partnership is really a model of telemedicine. To me, a video connection is just a tool. It's a tool to bring great care to everyone regardless of their geographic location and really focusing on what the person is saying and what they're telling you because that's the truth about this injury for them. You asked me what kind of injuries should be and can be treated via telemedicine and my answer to that is really simple and that is if it doesn't require hands for the treatment it doesn't require hands for the diagnosis so if you have a dislocation you have a fracture that needs to be set you have a laceration that needs to be sutured or you have some kind of foreign body that needs to be removed those things would require hands for the treatment. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and have that available to you in a clinic. But if it's something that can be treated remotely, I can order and arrange for you to go get an x-ray even the same day. 
I can order and arrange for you to go to a physical therapist to really evaluate the level of mobility and um, health of that joint. And they can put their hands on you and tell you if that feels like something that's torn or dislocated um, in some way and recommend additional imaging. But most of the time that, again, is gonna come from the history. Like someone's gonna tell me a history that's very concerning for a rotator cuff tear or very concerning for a meniscus tear. And that's going to help me um, direct the treatment plan from there. Are there patients that telemedicine doesn't work as well? And I use the example of a type of pain. Pain can be kind of hard to describe whether you're in person or, you know, having a, a televisit. Are there challenges then in um, having a patient being able to accurately describe what their uh, condition is or what their symptoms are? Um, I would say that people are pretty good at, at just telling you what they're feeling if you invite them and you leave space. So that's where empathic communication comes in. That's something that we do differently here at Work Care. We actually have a training in empathic communication and in that pausing is really important. Not interrupting people is really important. Giving them the space to provide you with the information that is meaningful to them. And so I find that when I direct somebody and the description of a pain Maybe if they're struggling for a word, um, but I tell them to just tell me what it what it feels like to them. Like, and they'll say, "Oh, it feels like little shocks," you know, and say like, "Okay, well, where are they starting from, and where are they going to?" And the video is still there, so I can see the person, and it's not like telephonically, which that can be a little bit more challenging. But if you think about communication. Our communication is 93% not the actual words that we're speaking. So it's gonna be body language, it's gonna be tone of voice, it's gonna be the physiology of the person in front of you. And you can see all of that on the video and you can hear all of that coming from the employee that you're talking to. And so you're mirroring that back to them. And again, what we're looking for is, is partnership in this communication, and that's what's gonna, gonna engender those better outcomes for us, um, is that when somebody feels like they're part of their plan, their treatment plan, they're going to participate more fully in their own recovery. So how they describe something to me initially is less important to the treatment plan and the diagnosis than how it's going to impact them. What about the people that suffer from white coat syndrome? How does telemedicine um, benefit them? Now, I don't know if there's been any studies of that, but at least in most cases, we're not checking their blood pressure. So we wouldn't know if they have white coat hypertension yeah. or if they're very anxious. But as I've stated that the research shows us that people are much more comfortable in anxiety provoking situations such as hearing bad news from their physician in a video visit than they are in the physician's office. So I would take that information and apply it to these situations to say that a lot of times people are more comfortable because they're in a comfortable setting for them. You know, they're in their home. I've had employees that I've spoken to have a spouse who is interested in how they can help 
this person recover? And they want to know, you know, what kind of food can I be cooking? Can we go for walks together? So the spouse wants to participate. Sometimes the children jump in the video <laughs> and they want, you know, to see what's going on. And I love that. I want people to be exposed to this type of medicine and to see how it can be practiced well. Um, so that they are more likely to use it in the future. How does occupational uh, medicine or telemedicine, how does it coincide with uh, your general practitioner's care? So occupational medicine is going to differ from general practice because you're looking at how this person's functional abilities are going to impact them in the workplace. So there's a level of communication that has to happen um, that's not the same as your general practitioner. Your general practitioner's main responsibility is to communicate the information to you, or maybe if it's a heart problem to a cardiologist who's also working with you um, to make those lines of communication very clear. Um, and of course, to the insurance company, especially if you're an HMO, if you want to request some kind of treatment. So if you look at occupational health, it functions very much like an HMO in that if I want to prescribe a certain treatment plan or imaging modality, I have to prove that this is applicable to this condition and to this particular person. So there needs to be a relationship developed there, not just between me and my employee that I'm treating, but also between me and their claims administrator, and also between me and the specialist. So in this way, the primary treating physician for an occupational injury is, is functioning as, as a medical home as a hub for information. And in keeping those lines of communication open, they're gonna break down the barriers to care for that injured worker. So when I worked in the urgent care, there were not open lines of communication and you'd oftentimes see these delays in treatment approvals because you didn't write something down correctly or maybe it didn't get faxed to the right person. Um, so then the employee comes back for a follow-up two weeks later and they haven't had any treatment in the interim with their physical therapist because the communication broke down somewhere. Whereas in a telehealth environment, there's a focus on including people in the communication in improving the health outcomes and in knowing what things um, fall under certain guidelines. So guidelines are really important in occupational health because they tell you, um, you know, this many PT visits is typically helpful for this type of injury. It's not a recipe. You don't choose the same things every time you tailor it to that individual, but it helps the doctor to know what things might get approved more easily and what will lead to better outcomes for the person. Because what we know about suffering and pain in general is that all suffering is equal. You know, we're not a body cut off from our mind. And so if our mind starts to suffer in the fact that I, the employee, can't get a hold of my claims admin, and I think they don't care about me. And I think my employer hates me for being on light duty. And my coworkers hate me for being on light duty and I'm useless. Then the physical pain I'm feeling will get worse. We have seen this in the research. You know, it's not that pain is all in your head. The pain is the physical pain and the emotional pain working together and magnifying. So whatever I can do as the primary treating physician to minimize frustration 
will minimize suffering, will minimize and help the person recover from their pain. Not minimize it, but, but mitigate it, but help it to be relieved. So my whole goal as a physician is the relief of their suffering and in working together with all of the different stakeholders to move towards the relief of suffering. You mentioned that work care practices something called empathic communication, and that's something that kind of sets it apart. Does the fact that work care is physician-owned, uh, does that help differentiate it from others? I think so. I mean, it was definitely a, a deciding factor when I came to work for work care um, because physicians, in order to work effectively, they, like everyone, need autonomy and agency and to be able to do the right thing for, in this case, employees. And when they do the right thing for the employees, then everyone can benefit. In many corporations, if physicians don't have that autonomy, don't feel they have the ability to make a difference, then their relationships with their patients are going to suffer as well. So work care, you know, we're able to practice the three A's of compassionate care and also to have that as part of our own work care family. So what I'm talking about when I say the A's is, you know, what we were just talking about, which is awareness. And as I have an awareness of the many layers of pain and suffering. And that awareness is that every person will tell you that their pain, what their pain is, and that pain is real for them. I'll never minimize it. I'll never judge it. I'm just going to be aware of it because you cannot heal what you don't acknowledge. And so by acknowledging the pain and suffering, by having an awareness of it, that's going to put me in a position to help the person heal. And the next step with that is agency. It is um, allowing that person to take an active role in the treatment planning, not necessarily to demand things like we talked about. This isn't a drive through window. You don't demand an MRI, but to work together and to educate the person and to really take the time to understand why do they think they need an MRI? Why do they think they can't go to work? What is it about physical therapy that they have barriers towards? Because physical therapy is a great modality for a lot of people. But if you're a single mother of three children who works two jobs, trying to find the time to go to physical therapy is going to be very stressful for you. And again, so we're looking at the level of awareness of the mental suffering and allowing that person to tell me, hey, this modality doesn't work for me. Um, and this is the reason why. So giving them that agency and telling them that this healing process is well within your power to control and direct. And I'm just here to help you. And that's where the last A comes in. And that's advocacy. I'm going to advocate on your behalf. I'm going to keep those lines of communication open between your employer and myself, you and your employer, all of us in the claims administrator, and all of us here are on the same page. And that is getting you back to a reasonable level of comfort where you feel like you can continue to be a part of your workplace community. Brittany, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Shelby. Have a great day.